Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll say it one more time. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Caitlin. That was great. Uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite time of the year. It, I think, is maybe the most spiritual time of the year, and you're going to see why, because over the next three weeks, including today, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is, at the, is really at the heart of worship. It's about gratitude, giving thanks to God for its kindness and his goodness to us. Well, um, I just want to say this morning that uh, I've got so much to be thankful for. Our, our whole family's together again today, so we're so thankful for that. I'm so glad the first row was happy about that. Yeah, Sarah's been out of commission now for a number of weeks, but she's back, and so we're so thankful for that. She had some surgery, and she's doing great. Jesse's home from Alberta, and so we're celebrating as a family. So, God's so good. Amen? I want to tell you this morning about uh, this guy. Doesn't he look like the happiest guy? It's kind of scary, actually. His name is Arthur Schopenhauer. He was a German philosopher born in the 1700s. And I would say he may very well be the supreme grumbler and complainer of all time. Uh, There may be others, but uh, he's definitely at the top of the list somewhere. As an extreme pessimist, he believed that the world that we live in is actually uh, in his words, the worst possible worlds that we could, uh, we could inhabit. And he said that happiness is actually an illusion. There's no such thing as happiness. He wrote a, uh, what is surprising, he wrote a bestseller called The Wisdom of Life. And in it, he has what you might call a self-help section. And in fact, it's really not so much a self-help section as much as it is a way of coping with life and reducing misery as much as possible. So he, he, he complained about everything. He complained about God and complained about people. That, was a, that really is at the core of his philosophy. He, he, of God, he said that God, if he exists, would be an evil God. Um, he's not too impressed with who God is. And here's what he says. I'm just sharing a few quotes with you. Um, He says, almost all of our sorrows spring out of our relations with other people. Now, is is that a cynical thing or what? Almost all our sorrows spring out of our relations with other people. You may be sitting here today actually feeling like that. Maybe you're dreading going to your Thanksgiving meal today. I don't know. But Arthur Schopenhauer would say, yeah, the sorrows you have, it's all because of people. Uh, If you've been a Christian for any length of time or if you've been attending this church, you know that one of the things that I like to tell everybody is that life is all about relationships. It's all about a relationship with God and with one another. And in fact, that's what brings us joy and happiness in this life. But Arthur Schopenhauer, he says it's better not to have relationships with people. Very cynical man. How about this one? He says, because people have no thoughts to deal in, they deal cards and try and win one another's money. Idiots. Love his, love his uh, way his brain works. Um, not really, but he says here that uh, basically that uh, people don't have anything to talk about. They're not thinkers. They're, they're dense and thick, uh, thick-witted. So that's his, that's his opinion. Uh, how about this one? The worst is yet to come. Uh, do you know people like this? Maybe you work with people like this. Maybe you are this person. I don't know. Maybe you're the one that is 
is walking around like Eeyore, uh, just uh, sure that, that life couldn't get any worse than it already is. Well, that was Schopenhauer's view of life. Uh, let me just share a few more um, uh, thoughts from Schopenhauer. Here's another picture of him. He's really quite an intimidating dude, uh, quite frightening. But here's what he says. He says, quote, just remember, once you're over the hill, you begin to pick up speed. That's actually kind of, that's kind of comical, and I can kind of relate to that. But then he goes, goes negative again. Um, he says, men are by nature merely indifferent to one another, but women are by nature enemies. Yeah, I know, the guy is just, uh, and, then, you know, and he's like the best-selling author. People are turning to him for self-help. Um, he says, seek out solitude. People rob us of our identities. So he's saying, better not to be around people, better to be on your own. He says, people are selfish. They're easily flattered and easily offended. Their opinions can be bought and sold for the right price. So jaded, so cynical about life, a complainer and a grumbler. Do you know people like that? He says, because of this, because of the tendency of humans to, uh, to, to, to flatter and to be easily flattered, he says, friendship is usually motivated by self-interest. Again, cynical. Behaving with kindness towards others causes them to be arrogant. Therefore, other people must be treated with some disregard. He says, truly exceptional people prefer to be on their own because ordinary people are annoying. I kind of agree with that one. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. How about this one? He says, accept that the world is filled with fools. Just accept it. The world's filled with fools. They cannot change and neither can you. It's no coincidence then that Schopenhauer spent 27 years of his life living all alone, except for a brief time when he had two poodles. But this guy is a lonely dude, and because at the core of it all is that he was a complainer. Now, let me begin by telling you this morning that God hates complaining. And I want to share with you a little bit about complaining today. You said, well, that's a strange thing to talk about on Thanksgiving. Well, wait till the conclusion, and you'll see why I have to talk about complaining. Here's what the Greek word uh, complain, uh, complainer means. It means one who is discontented with his lot in life. You're discontented, you're not happy. Whatever God has given you, wherever you're at, you do not recognize God's goodness. Rather, you, you would say that God has failed you, God has let you down, God has not given you what you think you deserve. A complainer is a grumbler or a murmurer. In 1876 BC, the world was plunged into the worst famine it had ever experienced. But before the famine hit, God raised up a man by the name of Joseph. He's the son of Jacob. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Joseph was his son. God, God knew that the famine was coming, and he prepared the world to make it through that famine, and he did it through Joseph. We see the hand of God's provision and kindness in the midst of that famine. Hey, isn't it, isn't it just, just like human beings to see the famine and not to see God's provision? Well, through Joseph, God was able to bring all of Jacob and his offspring to Egypt. Pharaoh invited them to come and settle there, come and live amongst us. And it was really a tribute to Joseph, who Pharaoh honored and respected so much as a man of God, as a man who, 
who could see the future. So all of Jacob and his family came and settled in Egypt. And by the way, in case you don't know it, another name for Jacob is Israel. And that's where we get the name Israelites. It's actually named after Jacob. And so they settle in the land. Everything's good. Uh, There's enough food to feed Jacob and his family. There's enough actually food to feed all of Egypt and actually to feed everybody surrounding Egypt. The day came when poor Joseph outlived his usefulness, and he got old, and he died. And it wasn't long before the new Pharaoh forgot all about Joseph, in fact, forgot all about the good things that Joseph did. And the new Pharaohs became nervous. They were paranoid. They were saying, look, we have living within our borders a foreign people, a foreign race. At any minute, they could rise up against us, and we we would be defeated. And so what they started to do is they started to uh, enslave the Israelites living in Egypt. And this, this slavery lasted for well over 300 years. There's only a few good years when they were treated as equals. Now, I want you to see something. Um, as, as the paranoia became worse and worse, and the, the pharaohs becoming increasingly more nervous, they decided that what they better do to cull the Israelites, we better have Uh, all the males thrown into the Nile River, all the baby males thrown into the uh, Nile River. But what they didn't know is that amongst those babies that were supposed to be drowned in the river was a little boy by the name of Moses. Some of you remember us talking about it this past summer. Moses had no, uh, no idea of what it is that God had called him to, and Pharaoh had no idea what God was up to. But I want you to see something here. We call this the choreography of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had a plan. He had heard the prayers and the cries of the Israelites, and he was about to do something great in their midst. And so you know the story. Moses grew up, and one day, you know, recognizing that he is a Hebrew or an Israelite, he sees an Egyptian kill another, another Israelite, and and uh, or, or beating him up, actually. He's beating up this Israelite. And so he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And when, when word gets out that he's killed this Egyptian, Moses takes off. He's afraid for his life. While he's away from Egypt, God begins to move in his heart. And God speaks to Moses and tells Moses, I need you to go back to your land, go back to the place of your birth, and I want you to deliver your people. I want you to deliver them out of slavery, out of the bondage that they are going through. And so uh, that's exactly what happens. God sends Moses back, and you know the story. Moses comes to Pharaoh, throws down his staff. It becomes a snake. He picks it up, and it goes back to a, a, a rod again. And, and Moses turns the, the, all the water into blood, and we see these series of, of plagues coming upon the Egyptian people. And actually, Pharaoh is not amused. He's not happy about this. And he takes it out on the Israelites. And he says, you Israelites, you're going to work longer and harder, and I'm going to take away your straw, and you're going to have to make bricks without straw. And now the Israelites are not complaining about Pharaoh anymore. Now they're complaining about Moses and about what Moses is trying to do. This is the beginning of the complaining of Israel. In fact, here is what one of the Israelite foremen says, quote, May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh 
and his officials, you have put a sword into their hands, an excuse to kill us. Well, you know the story. Maybe you've seen Ten Commandments with um, Charlton Heston. You saw the, the terrible plagues that came on, on Egypt. There was locusts and darkness, and there were frogs and flies, and the blood, of course. And, it, it, and people got boils all over their body. And, and Pharaoh kept saying, no, I'm not letting the people go. I'm not letting the people go. And then finally, it took the death of the firstborn. And King or Pharaoh Thutmosis III finally let Israel go. Well, this was no ordinary escape, people. Because what happened is God himself went before Israel. And you may remember this. Sometimes uh, what, what we see God as uh, portrayed as is this, as, a, as a great angel and sometimes portrayed as, as a, a, a fiery column or sometimes a, a column of smoke. But this is going before the children of Israel. So they're seeing the, the actual literal presence of God going with them. And they're, they're going along and finally... You know, someone's saying, well, where are we going? And, and, and Moses is saying, well, just pass the word around. We're going into the wilderness to worship God. And so they're, they're fine with that. But the problem is, is that they have now come to the edge of the sea. And they realize that Pharaoh and all his armies are directly behind them. Now talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. The sea is before us and the armies of Pharaoh are behind them. And they begin their complaining again. I want to read this to you. It's uh, found in Exodus 14. And it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us to this place? Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now, remember, Moses wasn't holding a gun to anybody's head. This is an opportunity to get away from slavery, and everybody says, yeah, this is a good idea. Look at the miracles God's doing. We're in. Count us in. And now suddenly, things get a little rocky, and what do they start doing? They start complaining. They start whining. And man, did they whine and complain. <laughs> Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. And the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Moses is an excellent leader. He knows how to keep his wits about himself. He's telling the people to stay calm. God's done miracles in the past. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. But then the next verse, we see Moses gets away from the people, and he gets before God, and now he has a little panic attack. And this is what it says here in verse, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? He's, having a, he's, he's breaking down. Moses is like, I got three million people here that are ready to kill me. And God, what are you going to do? And, and then here's what God says. Tell the people to get moving. Moses is like, what? Mo God, that's Pharaoh and the armies behind us, and it's a sea before us. And where exactly are we going to go? And here's what God says. 
Moses, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. And my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. And when my glory is displayed through them all, Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. God does not get angry with Israel at this point for complaining. And neither does Moses. He understands their fear. He understands, you know what? This is all new to them. They're not used to the ways of God. And so he lets them off the hook. Even more than that, the Bible says further on in that chapter that 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 pillar of fire that was going before Israel now moves to the back and actually positions itself between the Pharaoh's between Pharaoh's armies and the the Israelites. And there's no Egyptian that's coming close to the Israelites. I mean, they just experienced the 10 plagues, and they're not messing with the God of Israel, at least not yet. So the next thing you know, Moses picks up his staff, and he, you know what he does? Strikes the water, the water parts, and God goes behind Israel as Israel goes through the Red Sea. Now, it's interesting because some people say, oh, well, it wasn't really a sea. It was a sea of reeds. It was Water was just shallow, which makes it even more miraculous because the Bible says that Pharaoh's armies all drowned in that water. So if it was just a foot high, these are not very bright Egyptians. Anyway, getting back to the story, uh, they, they get across the sea. Everybody's rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Hey, it's easy to praise the Lord and say hallelujah when everything's going good, right? Yeah. It's easy to do that. Oh, isn't God good? Isn't God wonderful? But the minute that things get difficult, then rather than praising God, what we want to do is we want to start grumbling and complaining. And folks, I want to tell you, if you want to read a story about people that just don't get it, read all about the Israelites. These are the most grumbling, most complaining people you'll ever come across. And so God, God gets the people through the Red Sea, and he, he performs this wonderful miracle. There should be no question in anybody's mind that God's going to take care of Israel. God will never let them down, right? Wrong, you're right. You're wrong. It's wrong. By the time we get to Exodus 16, the people are complaining again. Oh, they're upset. They, they are sick and tired of the food that God's given them. Now, you remember that God said, well, we're going to take care of the children of Israel, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to send manna from heaven. Now, in case you don't know what manna is, first of all, the word manna means, what is it? So God sent Israel, what is it? Every day they gathered, what is it? And the Bible says or describes manna uh, like this. They, it's called like a, 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 honey, a honey-like wafer. It's a, a very tasty, very delicious. The problem is, is they didn't like having manna every day. So the people say this, Exodus 16, verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Wow. Hey, is that you? If only the Lord has killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Wow. These people are short-sighted. They forget that when they were in Egypt, they were enslaved and they were brutally beaten. They did not have a life. They were, they were literally just existing. And not to mention the fact that their baby boys were being thrown into the river and murdered. They would prefer that to 
then to, to, they prefer that over following God in, into the wilderness, into the promised land. Well, we get to Exodus 17, and guess what? They're complaining again. This time, it's about water. So once more, the people complained. Exodus 17, too. Once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. These people, you just can't make them happy. And then you get to Numbers 11, and it says Israel is coming to the promised land. They're just about there, and they're saying, now we want to eat some meat. God, give us meat. They're complaining again. Here's what it says in Numbers 11, 5 and 6. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Yeah, you ate fish for free, but you were a slave. You had no life. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Wow, what ingratitude. Ungrateful. What are you supposed to do with these people? Well, God pours out judgment. He sends quail, and more quail than anybody can eat. And the Bible says that while the quail was still in their teeth, they dropped dead. And here's what Moses says. He says to God, God, where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. I can't feed three million people with meat. And so God takes care of that with a quail. These people just keep complaining. They keep on grumbling. And if it's not enough that all the people are complaining, even Moses' family is complaining about him. We read in Numbers chapter 12, the next chapter, Aaron and Miriam are now complaining about Moses. They're grumbling about him taking a Cushite wife and complaining that, that who does he think he is? And just because he's the boss doesn't mean he gets to lord it over us. And on and on. And then finally, God says, I've had it. And Miriam is stricken with leprosy because of her sin of complaining. And you'd think that these people would finally get, get the point. They'd finally learn the lesson, right? Wrong. They finally get to the promised land, the land that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call this modern-day Israel. They get to the borders. God says, before you go into that promised land, you're going to send in some, some spies just to go check out the land. And then once you've checked it out, come back and bring the report. So they did. They sent in the 12 spies. They checked it out. They came back. And everybody's just sort of waiting to hear the story. What's going to happen? What's it going to be like? What, what's, what, what, what do we have to look forward to? They're all, actually, they're excited about this. They're excited about the fact that they're going to finally have their own land. The problem is that the spies had a different idea. The spies came out of that land, and they said, man, it's a beautiful land. Oh, it flows with milk and honey. The grapes are so massive, it takes two of us to carry a cluster Man, this land is amazing. But these people are giants. They're huge. And we're so tiny. We were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, and they're giants. So quite frankly, we don't think that we can do this. 
That was 10 of the spies. Two of the spies, they had a different report. They said, yes, we can do this. God's been faithful to us. Look what God has done in the past. We can do this. But the people weren't listening to the two spies. They were listening to the 10, and they were having a nervous breakdown. The people started to yell and scream and moan and groan, and God, how could you do this? Why didn't you just kill us? And God has had enough of this complaining. And here's what it says in Numbers 14, 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? Folks, that's a question for you and me today. Because by nature, we are such whiners and complainers. We see not the miraculous. We don't see the good things that God's done in our lives. We see only the problem that's in front of us. And rather than trusting God, we start whining, we start complaining, we start grumbling, we start telling God, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. And God calls this lack of belief, he calls it contempt. And God's saying, look, if you're gonna be my people, you can't treat me with contempt. So what is God going to do? God has to teach them a lesson. God tells the children of Israel, because you're treating me with such contempt, because you don't believe me, because you don't trust me, because your, your natural inclination is to complain and grumble, here's what's going to happen. You're not getting into the promised line. You're not getting the blessing. You're going to lose the blessing. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. Because what what applied to the children of Israel back in Moses' time applies to you and me today. God is here today asking you, how long will you treat me with contempt? When will you learn to trust me and to believe me? When will you, when will you learn what it means to put full trust in the living God? Because these people didn't trust God, God said, you're not getting the blessing. You're gonna, you'll be left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. The blessing now is reserved for the next generation. I wonder right now, what blessing you are being deprived of because of your lack of trust in God. Remember, God loves you. And one of the ways that God expresses his love for us is through his discipline. He puts up an obstacle. He puts up a fence. He puts a stop to the blessing in your life. I'm going to tell you, folks, God does love you. And the most important thing he wants to do in your life is to teach you how to trust him. So you can come before God and cry and scream and stomp your feet like a four-year-old. God is not going to do anything. God is going to let you have your temper tantrum and he's going to wait till you calm down and wait for you to learn the lesson. That's what he did with Israel. I wonder right now, is your complaining holding back the blessing of God in your life? You've been praying for a son or a daughter or a child, a brother or sister. You're saying, oh God, I want them to come to Jesus. And yet your life is one of complaining and grumbling and you wonder why the people in your life don't want anything to do with your religion. You wonder why nobody wants anything to do with your God. It's because they see in your life an inconsistency or what we would call 
hypocrisy. By the word, do you know what that word hypocrisy means? At the core of that word hypocrisy is the word actor. And that's the problem with so many of us who call ourselves Christians. We're actors. We don't really, really believe what we profess or declare to the world. If you're going around telling people that you are a Christian, then then please do not let grumbling and complaining come out of your mouth because that will destroy your testimony like nothing else will. Is your grumbling and complaining stopping God's provision in your life? You've been praying for a miracle and you wonder why the miracle isn't coming? God says, will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs? Do you really think that God's gonna continue to pour out miraculous signs on a people who don't trust him or believe in him? Do you really think that God's gonna answer the prayers of people who treat him with contempt? Absolutely not. As a father, if my kids treat me with contempt, guess what? They're not getting anything out of me. If they treat me with respect and with love, which they do, they're amazing, then I'm going to tell you, they can have anything up to half the kingdom. (laughs) This is the heart of God. He delights to meet your needs. He delights to provide for you. He delights to care for you. He delights to strengthen your marriage. He delights in seeing your kids come to Jesus, your spouse come to Jesus, your friends come to Christ. The problem is with so many of us is that we don't have a testimony. Our grumbling and our complaining destroys utterly and completely our testimony. Well, Paul warns the the, the Christians in Philippi. He says, do everything, say it with me, without complaining and arguing. Say it again. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Stop for a moment because that really is our nature. Now, Paul would never have had to say this to these Christians in Philippi if these people were not prone to complain, but they do. And 2,000 years later, it's the same thing. And Paul's warning them, don't. Why? Paul says, here's why. So that no one can criticize you. No one can say, hey, he calls himself a Christian, but if that's Christianity, he can keep it. No, don't complain or argue so that no one can criticize you. Look at this. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. Did you know that everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian is supposed to be a bright light in this world? Did you know that? You are a bright light by definition. Isn't that what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light, let your light shine. Let the whole world see the light. You're supposed to be a bright, shining light in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Wow. Did you hear that? Now, here's the thing, folks. If you are not that shining, bright light, then perhaps you're part of the other gang, that crooked and perverse people. That word perverse means twisted. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more twisted than people who've been showered with so much blessing, so much goodness from God, and yet they still complain and grumble. 
what kind of blessing is God having to withhold and keep back from you because you're grumbling and you're complaining? My prayer is that through these three weeks of discussing Thanksgiving, that we will see an outpouring of God's blessing in your lives and you'll start to see the miracles that you've been praying and asking for. I believe God wants to do that. But God does that for people who are grateful, who give thanks, who give thanks in every situation. Yes, even the difficult situations. You know, I've heard of all kinds of uh, evangelism. I've read, I cannot tell you how many books on this subject. In fact, on my bookshelves, I've got so many books different types of evangelism. Uh, I remember one guy talking about shark evangelism. And a shark evangelism is the kind that comes after you and attacks you. It shoves the gospel down your throat. Maybe, maybe you've had that experience once or twice. I don't know. And another kind of evangelism is called dolphin evangelism. And I think it's pretty self-explanatory. The dolphin is playful and fun and friendly and nice and you can stroke his head and he'll blow water in your face and everybody's smiling and happy. Isn't this wonderful? Jesus is good. Hallelujah. Whether or not we got the gospel or not, that's another thing. But a Christian was nice to me. What Paul's talking about here is what I would call thanksgiving evangelism. It's the very, it's the very core of who we are. Now, I told you at the beginning that, that thanksgiving is, is really what worship is all about. So when you are out there in that world, which Paul calls crooked and perverse, when you're out that, in that world telling people about the goodness of God, when you are expressing worship, and by the way, worship simply means attributing, assigning worth to someone. When you're out in the world telling people about how good God is to you, what you're doing is you're causing people around you to praise your Father in heaven. That's what worship is all about. We're declaring the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness of God. Look at even when things are difficult, even when we're tempted to whine and grumble and complain. Now, here's what I know about all of us here today, is that pretty much all of us are, are experts at complaining. Would anybody say amen to that? Oh, man, if you say so. Yeah, we're all pretty good at it. And I'm not exempt from that, unfortunately. I wish I could tell you that I never grumble or complain, but my family's sitting here this morning. I, I, I can't get away with this. God has really spoken to my heart and, and challenged me. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to stop and examine your life to see whether or not the miracles have come to a dead stop in your life because of your grumbling and your complaining. We need to be a people who do everything without complaining and arguing. You, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you driving to church here this morning, I mean, you were letting it rip in, in your car. You were mad at everybody. I mean, it's happened to me, I know. You're mad at that driver. They cut me off. I'm kind of crazy. Is he turning left? Is he turning right? What's it? You know what I'm talking about. Do everything without complaining or grumbling. Thank you, sister. Thank you for your honesty. Well, folks, listen. We're going to pray. Before we do, I want to share something with you. This is the power. The power of Thanksgiving. This morning, 
my mom sent me an email at uh, quarter after six, which is, even for me on a Sunday morning, it's a little early. But I'm not complaining. No, I'm not. Okay, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just listen to this. This is from mom at 6.19 a.m. She says, good morning, Pastor Allen. Dear Pastor Allen, my mom calls me pastor. Not all the time. But she says, I'm thankful for God's gift of four children and their beautiful offspring and for her precious Gloria. She says, I'm thankful for continued great health and a mind to comprehend my surroundings. I'm thankful for being brought into a Christian heritage. I'm thankful for a mom that taught me to appreciate and see the little things in life. For experiencing two of my sons sitting together and having a conversation about our Heavenly Father. That's me and my brother last week in my office. I'm thankful. And I completely trust God who has put a joyful song in my heart. It just can't get any better. Thank you, my dear Alan. Blessings for a clear mind and a determination to press on. Love you forever, Mom. That's pretty cool. A quarter after six this morning. She was here in the first service, so she heard it. But I got to say this to you folks. When people come along and start giving thanks to God, it changes your outlook. Man, it just put a song in my heart, even though it was quarter after six in the morning. I was so grateful to God. I was thankful. It made me realize just in, just a, in a split second how blessed I am to have a loving family, a loving mother and a father. People that care, care for me. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to pray now. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that you care about us and you've been so good to us. God, we confess freely to you right now that so often, too often, we take for granted your kindness to us, and we forget about all the miracles and all the good things that have happened in our lives. God, we pray for grace and strength right now to put away the complaining and put away the grumbling. We ask for grace to be a people who are constantly thanking you, Lord, because this is our testimony. The people around us are listening to us. Our kids are listening to us, and our kids are going to grow up and do exactly what we do. We pray, Father, for grace to examine our hearts, to see whether or not we're whiners and complainers or if we are worshipers. God, that's what it means to be followers of Jesus. And so we thank you, God, right now for your grace, for your strength, for your hand upon us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, God is good.